I want to introduce our guest speaker for today, uh, Pastor Peter Yoon. He is the senior pastor of Kairos Church in San He's just come on up to the stage because he comes up when he wants to come up. He just comes up when he wants to come up. He's here with his wife, Jessica, as well as his uh, sons, Nathan, Jason, and his daughter, Abigail. So glad that they're here. Uh, he's been senior pastor of Kairos for over a decade now, thir 13 years. And I just want to, you know, there's, let me just say this. He's one of my favorite people in AMI. He's one of my favorite people. People, pastors like him make me so glad that we have this family to be able to serve together with. Um, when, I'm, when I, you know, there have been so many times we've been on the phone just talking about ministry, uh, bouncing ideas off each other, just me being encouraged by him and learning from him, that my, my son, he'll see me on the phone with him, and he'll go, oh, are you on with your BFF? And I'll go, get out of here, you little troll. You know, he trolls me. And then, uh, you know, I'm, uh, so, so, so we talk, and I've just been so blessed by our relationship. I think he's doing such an amazing job pastoring down in San Diego area. If you find yourself in San Diego, and I know you guys travel here, I know you guys do, visit Kairos Church. They're a wonderful church, and um, I just really appreciate this man. He loves the Lord. I think he is just um, really trying to build a, such a good, solid church down in San Diego, and it's my privilege and honor to call him um, not just a co-laborer in AMI, but also a friend. So can we give a warm welcome to Pastor Peter Yoon? Thank you, Pastor Ulysses, and thank you, Minuel Church, for just an opportunity to spend time worshiping with all of you. Um, just always encouraged when uh, I get to visit AMI churches and see many people gathering. I, I know we live in, in a culture, society, where many people are falling away or just dropping out, um, following after other things. And so it's an encouragement just as one pastor to see so many of you here worshiping the Lord, giving your time to the Word of God um, and for one another and to see people going um, to, to the nations to serve the Lord there as well. So thank you for being here. I, mean, I was here seven years ago when the church launched. So I was in this room uh, celebrating the planting of Renewal Church and um, just seeing what the Lord has been doing. I, I, I don't know if you're, you're, you were here seven years ago and you still happen to be here, maybe seven weeks, seven months. Um, just the encouragement that pastors receive, the AMI body receives through all of you is real. Um, I'm encouraged by Pastor Ulysses. I love, talk to, I love talking to him because um, he's the first person that really helped me to shape the idea of membership in our church. I, I grew up in a church where there was no concept of membership. It was more organic. Everything was kind of done just rela relationally. And just beginning to understand the idea of formal membership, I, I knew he had thought deeply about it. He had really begun to implement some of that in here. And so I learned a great deal from him. And now we have Kairos 101 at our church. Um, it's part of our membership process. And I'm indebted to Pastor Ulysses, his wisdom, his pastorship, and helping to shape our church to become healthier over the years as well. So I'm very grateful to be here on this uh, mission, missional Sunday. I was thinking about preaching out of the Great Commission statement, 
Jesus makes in Matthew chapter 28. And after having dinner with Pastor Ulysses last night and talking a little bit about it, I completely pivoted to another sermon that I had preached at Kairos Church. And when I think about the text of John chapter uh, 9, I'm just going to be pulling some missional themes that I think is part of this story where Jesus heals a man who was born blind. Birth, he was born without the capacity to see. And in one of the oddest miracles that Jesus performs, he doesn't just touch, he doesn't just speak, he actually spits. And I think because it made a cake of mud, I think he spit a lot. (laughs) He really dug into his phlegm and just spit into the mud And he does the oddest thing by kicking this mud into the man's eyes. And without even helping him, like, wipe it off, he says, now go. Go walk about half a mile down to this pool called Siloam. And there, if you wash, you know, self-serve miracle, you'll you'll be able to see. (laughs) You know, if you've read that passage in John chapter 9, it is an odd way of opening the eyes of a blind person. But I think in this text, we'll see the heart of God, the heart of Jesus, the invitation to join him in his work and his mission as well. And I hope to be able to connect that. So in your Bible, if you want to follow along on your phones or if you have other means, John chapter 9, and we'll be going through Jesus healing the the man who was born blind. I think I have the slides here as well. Um, Jesus often performed miracles simply because he was compassionate. He was full of compassion. He loved people who were lame or couldn't walk, um, couldn't see. Miracles were performed because he, he saw them. They were hungry, and compassion moved in his heart, so he produced food miraculously. And other miracles came about throughout his ministry But there were three particular miracles that he performed that actually it provided a specific function of authenticating his messiahship, proving that he is the king over not only Israel, but all of creation. You see, the Israelites had been waiting for centuries for a king to rise, one who was in the lineage of King David, one who would come and establish his kingdom on earth. That was prophesied in the Old Testament literature. So those who studied God's word, the rabbis, they held firmly to these promises. And During the time of Jesus, there were others who claimed to be that king, to be the Messiah that was fulfilling God's um, prophecies. But their careers or their Messiahship was very short-lived as they couldn't fulfill all the promises. Jesus is the only one that fulfills the Old Testament prophecies and is the rightful Messiah. And there were three miracles, according to an American, uh, a Russian-born American theolo- theologian. He said, he noted there were three messianic miracles that the Israelites were actually looking for. And the man 
that would perform these three miracles would have that authentic validation that you must be the Messiah. One was healing of a leper. Healing of a leopard. And in Matthew chapter 8, that takes place. The second miracle that this Messiah would have performed to authenticate his identity was casting out of the deaf and dumb spirit. And Jesus accomplishes that in Mark chapter 9. The last miracle that would have been performed according to these understanding, the, the rabbi's expectation was healing of a man who was born blind from birth, not being able to see. And that's what this miracle is about in John chapter 9. Jesus is not only showing compassion for this man who could not see all of his life, but he is also authenticating his messiahship, letting the people know, I am the son of God. I am the king that was promised in all of Old Testament. And as he performs this miracle, you would imagine a lot of people saying, finally the king has arrived, finally the king is here, and he will make everything right. But those who had religious powers, they actually pushed back, even in the sight, even with the testimony of this miracle taking place. So let's read along um, verses 1 through 5. As he went along, Jesus, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. And while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Over the years, decades, centuries, the Jewish people had formulated this theological understanding that personal sin was connected to personal suffering. If you had any kind of personal ailment, it must have been because you or perhaps your parents, your generations above you had sinned. They noted this because Exodus chapter 34 explains about this generational curse that visits the fathers to the sons to the third and fourth generation. And because of that teaching in Exodus, they had kind of always thought of people who had blindness or they couldn't walk as people who had committed some kind of a sin in their life. I'm not sure if you think that, you agree with that, but that was the way they looked, that, that was their worldview at that time. And so when the disciples crossed this man who was born blind from birth, they asked this question about the origins of sin. Was it this man who sinned or was it, was it his parents who sinned that caused the man's blindness? And part of this whole ordeal um, was as they were students of the rabbi, I heard last week's message online, the, the being covered by the dust of the rabbi, as these disciples were students of Jesus, the rabbi, they loved to enter into discourse, theological questions, learning about doctrines, and these things are really important because the Word of God reveals who God is. And as students of the Rabbi Jesus, this was actually a good question. This was a good question in theology that people would have wondered and thought about. They would have debated about this for hours and hours. Sometimes this happens in our 
um, small groups and spiritual conversations. We love getting into debates about certain views, certain doctrines with our friends, with other Christians, people who may come from different camps, if you will, different churches with a different understanding. And we love to talk about things like Arminianism versus Calvinism, the rights of um, just infant baptism versus uh, the, pedo, the, the cradle Baptists. So all of these things fill our curiosity, and they're good topics of discussion. And that's kind of what's going on here as they look at the man that is born blind from birth. And Jesus deflects the questions completely. And he says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Meaning it wasn't the cause that you should be looking at. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. The works of God might be displayed in him is the response of Jesus. And what I see in here, um, I don't know as God's people, as a church, we're always asking the question, um, where is God working? What is God doing? How is God showing up in our lives and accomplishing his will, his purposes? I know pastors love to ask this question, and for me, personally, I've gone through experiencing God discipleship by Henry Blackaby, by the Southern Baptists. And the question there that gets asked is, where is God working? Because it's not about me doing God's work and asking God to bless me. It's about figuring out where is God working and joining him in what he's already doing in your city, in your workplace, in your family, in your own life. What is God doing? And I think here Jesus is pointing to this is where God is working. It is the work of God that's going to be displayed in, in the person. The disciples had come to Jesus primarily with more of a theological debate. This is kind of a doctrinal discourse, if you will. And again, those are important things. I don't want to downplay that. But what Jesus does is he shifts his missional heart. Mission begins when people are not just issues. People are people. One of the things that our college pastor spoke on um, when he was preaching through the series was um, in regards to people's brokenness, they're not simply issue. It's not a depression issue. It's not an anxiety issue. It's not an addiction issue. They're people, and they're people in which, in whom God wants to display his best works. Missions begin in our hearts when we begin to notice people for who they are, their imperfections, my imperfections, your imperfections, the things that we struggle with aren't merely issues we need to overcome. Yes, it can be seen in that light, they're people in whom God will do his gospel work, his best work, whether it's deliverance or healing, whether it's bringing up just hope over anxiety, that there are people in where God's work will be displayed. Are you seeing people for who they are and the brokenness that we all carry? It's really wonderful opportunities for God's kingdom to come and and resurrect hope, bring healing. And I think that's what Jesus is reminding his disciples here. 
Perhaps he did have a conversation otherwise with the disciples about the origins of sin. But here, Jesus wanted to impress into their heart that person, the person born blind, is not merely an issue. It's a person in whom God's work will be established. And I hope you enter into small groups. I hope you enter into relationships knowing that, having hope in that. As a pastor, I used to just sometimes become so frantic or you know, frazzled that the way in which people would enter into our church with all the brokenness and all the issues, and I would wonder, what is going on in their lives? Why can't they get it right? And as God began to turn my own heart, I began to have a lot more hope, the vision of the person this person will become as he or she remains in the Lord. The brokenness that God will tend to mend and heal as that person continues to just be in the spirit of the Lord and the word of God. As a pastor, I have so much hope for many young people who may come into communities like this, just with all of our brokenness, our sins, our inadequacies. Everything that we know leads us to believe we're, we're not qualified. We're not qualified to engage in the works of God. We're not qualified to do certain things. And I get it. I, I, I understand the sentiment there. What Jesus sees in all of us is the very place, the very location, the very heart in which God's great works will be established. As a church body that's going to engage in mission, I pray that the things that you see in your society, in your city, aren't just issues that need to be overcome in your cultural moment, but they're people in whom God will do amazing things. The next point is Jesus healing, uh, sending the healed messenger. In verse 6, after saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. And this word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. He instantly received the miracle, the gift of sight from the Lord. Um, if you're wondering, just kicking some mud into a man's eyes, that was not some ancient method for rabbis to heal blind people. That, that was not normative in that time at all. But when we think about what's going on in this kind of context, it is odd. And I think what's going on is sending a blind person through the streets of Jerusalem, which is very crowded at that time. There was a festival, a festival of the tabernacles that was going on. And so... Lots of the Israelites had come into Jerusalem to participate in this festival. It was commanded by God. And with such a crowd, sending a blind person who was kind of fumbling through the streets for about a half-mile journey to the pool, I think what Jesus was doing was making it known something is happening in this moment. It is not just that this blind man is about to receive sight, yes, that will happen. But it was a proclamation, a sign, if you will, of Jesus' proclamation, the kingdom of God has come. And it has come in him. 
in this moment. Isaiah 35.5 talks about the eyes of the blind that will be opened. It's passages like this that gave this inclination, this idea that the prophecy, the prophetic um, literature would be fulfilled in, in this Messiah that led people to look for blind, the eyes of the blind being opened. And so for this blind person to be fumbling through the streets of Jerusalem, kind of bumping into things, I, I kind of, the only way I can kind of think about this is, I don't know if you have it here in NorCal, do you have those uh, trucks you see on the highways where it's like a billboard and they're just driving along the highway and it's a huge billboard for some company? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Can you give me a nod if you've seen some of those? Okay, usually billboards are hanging on the sides of the freeways, but every now and then you'll see this big truck a flatbed with a billboard, and they're just driving down the highway at, for camp, uh, advertising some company. You guys know what I'm talking about? Okay. In some sense, that's what this blind man is in this moment. He is walking down a crowded street of Jerusalem. Yeah, people may not know what's going on, but he's headed towards Siloam with this caked mud in his eyes, and Jesus is sending this campaign, this idea that the kingdom of God has arrived. That was his message. Repent for the, receive the good news. Believe in the gospel. The kingdom of God is now at hand. And so this person who was broken, completely removed from society, is now acting as one of the agents for God's kingdom, a herald, a messenger, to be able to say the kingdom of God is at hand. Everything is going to change for him because he will receive sight, but everything will change because Jesus the King has finally come fulfilling the Old Testament prophecy. When we think about the idea that we are sent to people, people that were once blind and having had that spiritual birth, but now we can see the work of God's ministry is to call us, to commission us, to send us. And I get it. Sometimes we'll kind of fumble through different conversations. We'll fumble through different relationships. We'll kind of fumble through it. But if the hope that we carry in our hearts is God has met us in the person of Jesus Christ and has transformed my heart, that is the message that we carry towards others. Is God changing us? Is God transforming us? I realize it comes in increments. It comes at times too slow, slower than I'd like in my own life. One thing I've realized over the decades, over the years that I've been in ministry, just following in God's kingdom, is as we continue to remain faithful, the gospel is true. Jesus brings transformation that I am completely incapable of accomplishing in my own accord. As a father, as a husband, as a pastor, so many of the hats that I wear, being able to do them well, being able to do them in the paradigm of the Lord's word, to be able to accomplish those things takes tremendous effort, and my effort 
doesn't measure up, it's never good enough. But it is upon encountering the Lord, His ministry, His presence, receiving His commission as I continue to be faithful to Him, that the work of transformation takes place in my own spirit so that I can embody that and share that as a message of hope to others. So here, Jesus is sending the healed messenger as a sign that the kingdom of God is at hand and everything is going to be different. The next part is Jesus confronting the corrupted leaders. The leaders, the religious leaders, had become quite corrupt um, by now. They had become very wealthy. They had become actually powerful people in Jerusalem. They talked the religious talk. They knew literature. They knew scripture. But in their hearts, they were completely hardened. And the only idea of kingdom, the only idea of kingdom that they had carried was really an idea of a political kingdom where they would be able to rule and keep their power in partnership with Rome in that time. And Jesus goes to town on them and he confronts them. Um, in verse 8, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him, the, the man begging, um, him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? And some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it in, on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I washed, I went and washed, then I could see. Well, where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. Well, the first thing they want to do, the religious leaders and the people around him, they want to kind of discredit this blind person. They're trying to figure out, were you really the blind person that had been sitting on the sides of the street for many, many years? I think you're that guy, but maybe you aren't because all of a sudden, how is it that you can see? And they're trying to discredit him as a witness. And they needed to do this. The religious leaders especially needed to do this if they were going to keep their power. They were going to hold to their position. The, only, the, the idea that a Messiah would come would actually threaten the things that they had hoarded and kept for many decades. And so they're trying to discredit him. And what's happening here is not just a conversation in the streets. It's actually leading to a case study. It's actually leading to a judicial decision by the religious leaders. And initially, they want to discredit the witness, saying your testimony is not valid. We can't even trust if you are that man or not. The second thing the religious leaders do in verse 13 is they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied. I washed and now I see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. The others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they became divided. So even the Pharisees, the ones who, who judge over cases, 
they're becoming divided, but they're trying to discredit not only the witness, the man who was born blind, but they're trying to now discredit Jesus because if he was truly the Messiah, if he was truly the one that had been sent from God, he would not have done this on the day of Sabbath because doing such a thing is breaking of God's command, God's laws. And so the, again, the, as the case is proceeding, they're trying to discredit Jesus and this whole miracle that had taken place. Now verse 17, as we continue, says, then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he's a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Now they're bringing in extra witnesses. The witness of one person is not enough. They aren't even sure he was the guy that was born. So they send at least for his parents who would have known him. Is this your son, they asked. Is this the, uh, is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? Well, we, we know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. They knew, but they're saying we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He's old enough. He's an adult. He will speak for himself. And John, as a little commentary in verse 22, he explains, um, he explains his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. And that's why the parents said, he is of age, ask him. Okay, so mom and dad throws, throw their son under the bus. And I'm like, sorry, he's our son. But in terms of how he got healed, you'll, you'll have to talk to him, ask him yourself. Because they were completely filled with fear. They were afraid of being thrown out of the synagogue. And for them, that's loss of community. That's loss of perhaps status. That's loss of a lot of things that they hold value, that they hold dear. And so they said, why don't you talk to him yourself? And mom and dad throw him under the bus. Not sure how your parents would have answered on your behalf had you been the one on trial. But this fear is real. This fear is the way in which the religious leaders carried their weight around. What I realize is this is demonic. This is so dark. When leaders use their power, the authority, the resources they've gathered and ultimately rule with absolute fear, even against the truth itself. When the truth is that a miracle had taken place, that their son was healed by the man Jesus proclaiming to be the Messiah, and yet those in governing powers would not even allow for justice, for truth to prevail. And I say that's demonic because those are the dark powers that is oppressive, that is destroying the lives of so many people. And unfortunately, in this time, that power had actually landed into the hands of the religious leaders. And if I could think about the theme of missions, why do we engage 
You're noticing people who are broken. Why do we obey the Lord when he sends us? It is because it is a battle against the demonic forces that are destructive, that is out to destroy people's lives. The fact that the family are going to a place, to Yanam. I'm not sure how all the things work politically, but there to bring in a total new paradigm of what it means to lead, what it means to serve, what it means to love. That's the way of God's kingdom. We know the things that are wrong with our governments. We know the things that are wrong with just the way in which things are running, perhaps even in the companies you might be working at. We can stand by, sit idly, or in our prayers, or in our thoughts, begin to engage in the works of God, one life at a time, bringing God's mission, hope once again, and pushing back on things like injustice and tyranny, things that are destroying the fabrics of God's creation. In verse 24, they try the blind man once again, a second time. And they say, a second time, they summon the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner, he replied. Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I have already told you, or I have told you already, but you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Now this blind man is becoming a little bit impatient. He's becoming quite snarky. He's saying, look, I already testified. You even brought my parents in, and they were fearful of testifying. And you are asking me a second time. I've already told you what he did. I don't know what else to say to you other than he touched my, he opened my eyes. I was born blind. Now I can see. That courage, being able to speak the truth, is often demanded. I think the one idea of being part of a mission team Going with the gospel is this idea that we bring, we bear this truth. And that truth, what we're about to see is that Jesus is the Son of God and that Jesus is the Lord. Now I'm going to explain why do you do this, why Jesus um, spat into the ground and, and kicks mud into his eyes. Um, when they were criticizing this blind man, in verse 34, the religious leaders, before they throw him out of the synagogue, they said, they said this, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they throw him out. You were steeped at sin at birth. The, the Greek word that originates from kind of the Hebrew idea was, um, it's called a mamzer. The Hebrew word is a mamzer. Um, you're born illegitimately. And the way in which that word would have been used is the way I think some of, you know, one of the vernaculars, I, I won't say it here, but that, that word, that if you're born illegitimately, that's the word mamzer. And basically they're saying, you're a mamzer. Your testimony, your witness carries no weight here whatsoever. 
Now, this isn't the first time that the religious leaders discredit a person because of this illegitimacy. A chapter before this, they were arguing with Jesus about his identity. And there, in verse 19 in chapter 8, they, they asked him, hey, where's your father? They asked Jesus, Where, where's your dad? And they were taking a shot at Jesus because they also had known about Jesus' origins, his birth. The birth where Joseph was questionable. He was not really the biological father to Jesus. And so what they're doing is they're taking a shot at Jesus, insulting him, saying, we know about your family. We've heard about your family. You don't even have a legitimate father. And you're here claiming to be the son of God. Well, we think anybody who sits on the throne as the son of God would at least have a legitimate father. And to say that your father in heaven is your father is ridiculous, ludicrous. So those were the kind of the conversations, the back and forth that was going on. And here it's pointed towards the, the man who was also born blind. So Jesus says, okay, let's put this to rest. I will show you that I am the son of God. Not only am I, not, am I the son of God, but I will show you that I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And so he spits into the ground. He makes mud, and he just kicks it onto the man's eyes. He says, go wash, and you'll see. There was actually an oral tradition um, during the second temple where there was a teaching among the rabbis where God has a way of supernaturally discovering the legitimacy of a child who may have when disputes rise, when brother number one and, and the older brother or the younger brother, they both claim in the courts of laws to be, I am the rightful heir to everything that my parents will hand down to me. And the, they didn't have birth certificates at that time. They just had the testimony. They had to figure out, well, who is telling the truth? Is it the older brother? Is it this brother? Who has the right to the, the ownership, the inheritance? And there was a way in which this would be tested. And the teachings of, of the rabbi said, in order to settle this dispute, who was the first son, who was the legitimate first son, the rabbis would say, hey, bring a blind man. And when you bring a blind man, what we'll do is we will use the spit of the one brother and the second brother. And it is a spit of the one brother that opens the eyes. That is the legitimate heir to the inheritance. So they had this teaching, this oral tradition. Now, what the, the rabbis would have known this. The Pharisees would have known this. Jesus knew this because he taught, he, he learned all these things growing up as a child. It was part of the Talmud. And it says, it is learned as a tradition that the saliva of the father's firstborn heals this ailment. It is the son, the firstborn of the father that heals the ailment of blindness. And so this is why Jesus, knowing the traditions, the teachings that were common to the, to the rabbis, says, okay, you question the legitimacy of my sonship. I will use my spit to heal this man who was born blind from birth. That's what he's doing. He's proclaiming his rightful heir as the son of God. 
And now why the mud? He could have spat directly into his eyes. The mud was more of the Sabbath thing. There was a Sabbath law that you could not spit into the ground because if you spat on the ground on the day of Sabbath, guess what? It would form this mud. And by forming that mud, you're working. You're breaking a Sabbath command in that moment. And no good law-abiding Jew would do that. And for Jesus, he said, you care more about this mud and you've put such heavy weight on people, but you do not care at all for a man who was born blind. You don't have compassion for him. Sabbath was given so that man could rest. But you have made it into a series of so many applications and laws that just really put a heavy yoke on people. Let me show you, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And that's why he spits into the mud, making it and putting it into the eyes. Spit and the mud is his proclamation, I am the Son of God. God is my Father. I'm also the Lord of the Sabbath. And I've come to give rest to people. When we go out on missions, we carry this message message that Jesus is who he claims to be, that he is the Son of God, he is the King, he is the Lord. He can be fully trusted, and as you trust in him, your soul finds rest in him. And he's authenticating that by showing the love towards others, the Father's love, you're showing Jesus can be fully trusted. I had um, one more text, but it's not there. Right there, belief. The response of belief. In verses 35, the blind man eventually finds, the one who was born blind, he eventually finds Jesus. Jesus had heard that he had thrown him out, that they had thrown him out, and when they found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man said, tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you now have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. The response of belief and worship. On the other hand, denial and guilt, some Pharisees who were with him heard him and said, um, say this and asked, what, are we blind too? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim to see, your guilt remains. And Jesus said, for judgment I have come into the world so that the blind will see and those who will see become blind. John was masterful in, in crafting this event, this story, and putting it into his gospel. And what he's basically saying is Jesus is showing the works of God displayed through a blind, lower class, illegitimate beggar while confronting those who had corrupted powers. For the blind man, his response is to believe in the Son of God and then to come to him in adoration and worship. For the religious leaders, it was to put out the man, deny the work even took place, and deny Jesus' identity. And that's at times the choice we make when we're faced with situations, life choices. 
Um, I see a lot of people wearing glasses. I assume some of you wear contacts. Um, anybody here have 20-20 vision? Like you are here and God has gifted you with 20-20 glasses. You have never been to an optometrist in your life. Anyone here just want to brag and say, ha, ha, I have 20. No one? There is not one. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I, I'm with you. I, you know, I had 20-20 vision most of my life. My wife was, I think, born blind. Uh, <laughs> those classes, I was like, oh my God, what is this? I was, I had 20-20 vision into my 40s, and just, it was more of the recent, I think age has caught up, and now I'm beginning to use glasses both for reading and being able to see clearly. I see lots of beautiful people here, right? You know the first time I went to an optometrist? I think it was the word, I exam, exam. I think the exam part of it kind of got to me psychologically. Oh, it's a test. They're testing me. And I've grown up having to ace all of my tests. The pressure was on. I have to ace this eye exam. So as I got behind them, any optometrist here, by the way? God bless you for the work you do, for giving sight to so many people. Beautiful. Okay. So as I got behind the eye test, um, whatever that is, you know, I, I began to get those things that says, is this a B, is this an R, is this a P, is this an M, N. So you're asking, and each time the letters are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And so the exam is getting harder and harder and harder. At first, I was like, this exam is so easy. A, C, D, I see it all. And then, okay, new slide comes up. Oh, it's a little bit blurry now. But I'm trying to pass my exam because it's an exam. I want to ace this. I'm like, P-R? And so the optometrist can tell, oh, you're trying to pass this test. So she tells me, just relax. Just relax. The only way I can help you, the only way I can help you is if you actually tell me what you can, what you cannot see. I was like, oh, that's how this works. Okay, I, I don't see anything. I can't tell. <laughs> I don't know if that's an M or an N. <laughs> Might as well be a Z. Who cares? I can't see it, right? And then I got these glasses, and I'm like, wow, I can see so much better. And that's kind of what's going on here. The rabbis are saying, the Pharisees are saying, we see fine. Yeah, throw those tests at us. We see well. But it's the eyes the blind that admits, I, I can't see. I can't see at all. And what I need from you is the help to be able to see. And that's God's grace. God's grace comes to those who say, I fail this exam completely. For those who are saying, well, I need to muster up my own efforts and my own experiences, my, the things that I've amassed and gathered over the years, and with that, I will prove to you that I can do the work of God, I can see. I think we're beginning to drift towards the path of the Pharisees. But for those who are like, I come and I believe, you're the only one that can help me to see. The response that comes out of our heart is to worship the Lord, to believe in Him, to trust in Him.
I tie this in with the missions, the idea of missions. To be able to see what the Lord is doing globally, even locally. To see where God is resurrecting the lives of people who are broken, people who have been completely blind. And perhaps some of you have never been on a mission trip, short term, long term. And the prayer that I encourage all of you, this church, to to embody is, Lord, help me to see. Help me to see the work of God, the true authentic kingship of Jesus and my spirit in this community, in the global community, and show me what you want me to see. And as the Lord opens our eyes through vision trips or or being able to participate in spiritual conversations with coworkers and friends, we begin to see God at work. We see the, work, the, the grace of God, the power of God that is then released through us who are once blind. Um, worship team, would you come forward and just minister to us as we close this time? You know, my prayer for Renewal Church, for the leadership here, the servants, the members, and the people who are part of this church, my prayer is that missions isn't just some side program, but missions is one of the identities of this church. My prayer and my hope is through this body of Christ, um, vocational missionaries the Lord would raise, missionaries who feel confident that this church loves the work of God through people, through broken people. And because of their confidence in this community, the culture that the Lord will build, they, they would gladly be sent out to the nations through this body of Christ. And that's my prayer. It may take months, years, maybe even a decade. My prayer is church planters, vocational missionaries, would be the fruit of your labor your prayers, your sacrifices, and your pursuit of God's kingdom.